ask that you pray with me, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Father God, may the meditations of our hearts, our minds, and our souls be be in touch with what you want us to learn today, um, and not just learn for knowledge's sake, but help us to be humble enough to know when to change and how to change. I pray, God, that you would eliminate his, the distractions in our, in our world. May we be completely focused on you these next few minutes, in Christ's name, amen. I'm excited because we're starting a new sermon series today called Family and Faith. I don't know about you, but, uh, well, I do know about you, and I know about this. In Scripture, we're told that our faith has to do with our family, and our families have to do with our faith. Now, some of you may be a little bit concerned already because we live in such an individualistic society, but one of the things I want to try to convince you is that your faith is not just your faith. In other words, it's not an individual thing all alone. It's not something that we as good, red-blooded Americans have believed for so long that my salvation is my salvation, although that's true, but it's also communal. When you're in the baptistry, yes, you make a profession of faith, but it's also for the community as well. Your baptism redefines that community. Your baptism allows the community to understand their responsibility to you and your responsibility to them. So the next few weeks, I hope you'll join us, and not just join us, but I I hope you'll consider this opportunity as as an invitation to invite your neighbors, your friends. We're going to be talking about some things that probably won't set very well with some of you, but that's okay, right? We're going to talk about we're going to talk about family and faith and we're going to talk about things that may make you a little bit uncomfortable. For instance, next week we're going to talk about parenting. You know the Bible has a lot to say about parenting. And so we're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about intergenerational ministry. What does that mean? Intergenerational ministry. We're going to talk about revival. That's a word that we haven't heard in a long time. Most of us haven't heard in quite some time. Revival. What does it mean? Uh, to have a revival, and it's not just about those people out there, it's right here. But today I want to talk to you about family and faith in regards to the church family, people in here, the people who can't be with us for whatever reason today. I know there's several people out traveling, there's several people sick that are normally here that are typically gathered around this, this table with us and celebrating what Jesus Christ has done for us. These are the people that I want to talk about this morning. If you haven't noticed, on the back of your bulletin, Dottie's good about putting some, a place for some notes. So I would encourage you the next several weeks, not just the next several weeks, but specifically the next several weeks, to take an opportunity and jot some notes down and check me if what I'm saying is not true. Please let me know. Please let one of the elders know. But I think you'll find that what I have to say holds a lot of merit. Uh, at least that's my prayer. I want to talk to you about this word, family. Now, some of us in our society today think of family, and it's almost like an uh uh-oh, because we live in dysfunctional families. We are dysfunctional people living in dysfunctional families, and the church is not immune to dysfunction. Amen? I mean, we're all broken people. We live in a broken world. But I want to talk to you about this thing called family. You may notice on the top of your notes, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S a post-Christian society, and finally, 
this idea of commitment. I told you last week that 55,000 55, churches, that goes from mega church, 1,500 plus, down to a church who's meeting in a home, house church, but 55,000 of those churches will close their doors by the year 2050. 55,000 churches. That's a lot of churches. That's a lot of people, right? And oftentimes those churches that claim to be growing aren't necessarily growing. They're not having baptisms. They're not having professions of faith. They're just migrating from one place to another, right? They're taking their dysfunction from this place to the next place. So can we call that, can we call that growth? As far as the nuns go, it's popular these days to claim something being spiritual rather than being a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've run across people like that. I, here recently I've had the opportunity to minister to a, a family. Hal mentioned just a few minutes ago this person was on hospice for quite some time and she passed uh, last evening. They would consider themselves good people, good people, spiritual people but not followers of Jesus Christ. And that's becoming more popular uh, these days. And so we want to talk about those people. We live in what's called a post-Christian society. What do I mean by post-Christian society? Uh, one of the things I mentioned to you in illustration last week is when I was in Germany in the military, there were these big cathedrals, big churches, big, huge places that were built for a thousand people to worship at the same time. No no sound system, nothing like that, because the architecture was what it was, where thousands could gather and you could have somebody speak and everybody could hear them. But the problem is, even at a Christmas Eve service that I attended, there was probably 12 or 15 of us there. That's pretty normal. That's pretty typical in most of Europe today. Sure, you have your pockets in various places that the church is quite strong, but for the most part, throughout Europe, Across the pond, our cousins are living in a post-Christian society. In other words, people are becoming more and more prone to say they are spiritual but not followers of Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is, as church historians or people that study numbers within the church, the big C will say that's the case for America as well. We have more atheists, we have more agnostics, we have people that call themselves Christian, but we are living in a post-Christian society. You may remember, especially those of you who are older than I am, where the church was the center of the community, especially in rural communities. The first place they built was the church, because that was where every civic organization gathered. That's where you had family reunions. That's where voting actually took place. That's where all the things happened in the church. It's not so much that way anymore, is it? Because we live in a, quote-unquote, post-Christian society. For many, salvation means escaping hell, escaping being with Satan for eternity. But salvation is much more than that. Salvation is for the here and now, not just for the time that you lose the heartbeat, not just when your lungs stop expanding. So I want to talk to you about community. I want to talk to you about relationship. That's gone in our society. I remember... Growing up, and I'll grant you that I grew up in a smaller town of about 30,000 people, um, but we knew our neighbors. I knew my neighbors. They knew me. When I went to church, there was a, a little lady about this big who carried a big stick, if you know what I'm talking about. She was my lunch lady at, at school, but she was also the three-year-old teacher for Sunday school at church. 
And if I stepped out of line, she had the right, and my mom and dad would say she had the obligation to get on me if I stepped out of line. That kind of community is what I'm talking about, that kind of relationship. That's gone in our society now. We don't know our neighbors, do we? I remember people knocking on my door asking for eggs and flour and things like that, and my mom would do the same thing with our neighbor. That's what neighbors were. That's what community was. That's what relationship was. Now if somebody knocks on your door, on your door you think you're, they're Jehovah Witness, they're Mormons, or they probably got a gun. So you don't open the door. Or we drive home. We live in, we live in suburban or urban areas. We drive home. The garage door opens. We drive in. The garage door closes, and that's it. We don't know our our neighbors anymore, all I think to a, our own detriment. Family gatherings, I remember fa- family gatherings, uh, gathering at my grandparents oftentimes, and the thing about our family, we're no different than anybody else. We had a dysfunctional family, and oftentimes I just saw this family once or twice a year, right, at Easter or at Thanksgiving, and it was always strange to me that we acted like we got along on two days out of the year. Some of you have that family too, don't you? Dysfunction? It's dysfunctional. I didn't really know my cousins after we got to a certain age. Now when I talk to my cousins, there's particular cousins that I'm closest to, but we talk about these things from time to time, how there was this big elephant over here in the room, and we knew that sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws weren't getting along, and the kids who were innocent thought, man, it shouldn't be this way. Some of you have experienced diversity and segregation, especially if you're older than I. I remember reading about Martin Luther King and the segregation. Some of you probably experienced that in your own schools and, and how, how that went. And we talk about segregation even in the church, but look around. We're still segregated. I mean, there's black churches that meet over on McDonald Street. There's Hispanic churches that meet on the east side of Highway 5. But we talk about these things. We, we talk about these things, and they're easy to talk about. They're safe to talk about. But we, are we really interested in that kind of community, those kind of relationships? Church, we gather around this table. We gather around this table, and we celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. He went to the cross. He took your sins. He took my sins. He took the sins of the entire world. He was victorious over death. We celebrate that with people that... We've probably sat with for year after year after year, and we still don't know them. Or if we know them, we don't like them. I mean, you guys snicker, but you know what I'm saying. There's a text in the New Testament where Jesus says, if you remember you have something against your brother, or your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go and be reconciled. Do you hear the importance that Jesus places on community? Do you hear the importance that Jesus places on relationship. But we're so immune to that in our world today because everything is about individual things. Everything is about me. If we sing the songs that I like to sing, I'll be a part. If we have the preacher that I like, then I'll, I may support that. If, if, we, if we have somebody that gets up here and, and gives a good meditation time after time, I'll pay attention. But for those who don't, I'm going to check out. You, you get what I'm saying. The church is not immune to these things. We're often more concerned with process over people. Let me say that again. We, the church, are often more concerned about process than we are about people. What do I mean by that? 
Well, you've got to sing all five songs of Amazing Grace. Or you've got to get in the baptistry at the right time and make sure they go completely under, or they have to say the exact right words, or they have to dress the part, say the part, look like us. You know what, if I, if I was, let's go back to that time around the table. We're going to get to Scripture here in a second, believe it or not. But when you, when you gather around my family gathering when I'm a kid at my grandparents' house, and you had, you had all this stuff going on, and I'm, I'm describing your family as well. Somehow, some way, this describes your family, right? We're all dysfunctional. If we're more concerned about tradition, if we're more concerned about who's doing the turkey, who's doing the ham, who's the, we're, we're really not concerned about the other people. We're really not loving as Jesus intends for us to love. If we're more concerned about tradition even than the church, we're not really concerned about people outside the church. Oftentimes we're more concerned with process than we are about people. Let me give you an example from Scripture. If you haven't spent any time in the book of Galatians anytime recently, the book of Galatians is exactly about this. There's a diverse community, and Paul is trying to write to this church who's dysfunctional 101, and the Jews are saying, no, they've got that group over there, they need to be circumcised. Before they're part of us, they need to be circumcised. They have to go through the dietary laws, they have to be circumcised, they have to check off everything that we ask them to check off, and then they'll be a secondary part of our community. Paul is telling the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, you're more concerned about process than you are about people. Some of you remember the group called the Pharisees. We talked a little bit about this in our Bible study this morning where Jesus says, you are whitewashed tombs. You keep 613 laws. You do everything you're supposed to do based upon the law. But your hearts are far from me. He goes on to say, there will be people that walk across your grave and won't even know you're there, right? Because you're dead. Or he calls them whitewashed tombs. Think about that for a second. Hang on. You're religious, right? You go to the synagogue all the time. People would think that you're a good, moral, upright citizen because you follow all the laws. But your hearts are, you know Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, where didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we? Didn't we? Didn't we? And he will say, get away from me. I never knew you. What do you mean you never, I never knew you? See, this is a different church between knowing about God and knowing God. Knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. We gather and we think that everybody ha if everybody sitting around that table looked like me, acted like me, dressed like me, it wouldn't be a community. We would just be clones. The same holds true in the church. If everyone looks like you, acts like you, dresses like you, does the things that you want them to do, that's not community. That's just clones. If you think that your gift is more important than the next guy, than the next lady, you're really mistaken, because God can use all kinds of gifts. In fact, he does. We're going to read a text here in just a second. He uses all kinds of gifts, all for his honor and glory. Not for yours, not for the other person, but he gifts us in different ways. <gasps> different ways? Different ways. We're all wired differently. That's what makes a community a community. Diversity. We're all wired differently. And who am I to say that everyone has to look like me, act like me, dress? Let me tell you something I'm really, really excited about. We were approached, I don't know, a month ago, six weeks ago now, by a group, a Russian-speaking congregation that needs a place to meet. Through a lot of prayer and 
finally, this last week, it came to fruition where there's a Russian-speaking congregation meeting in this facility. Now, some of you got, might get a little bit frustrated because they're Russian-speaking. How do we know what's going on? I don't speak Russian. Do you speak Russian? But my God's bigger than Russian or English or Spanish or French or whatever. If you haven't read Acts chapter 1 recently, read Acts chapter 1. What I'm excited about is if God can use this place, this is not ours. God can use this place for his honor and for his glory. Who am I to say, you've got to act like me, you've got to dress like me, you've got to be like me, you've got to be a clone of me before we accept you. Let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts. Did you notice that? Varieties. This is NRSV, by the way. Varieties. There are varieties of gifts, diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services. You're not all called to do the same thing. Some are called to preach, some are called to teach, some are called to serve, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them in everyone. In everyone? Even people that don't look like me, act like me, dress like me? Yeah, in everyone. That's what it says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This resurrection we just talked about was not just for Americans. It wasn't just for the religious people. It was for the for God loved the whole world. The whole world? The whole world. That's what John meant in John 3.16. He loved the whole world. For the common good, to one is given through the, Spirit, through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, don't get hung up on these things. What is Paul talking about? There's this confrontation going on in the city of Corinth. And the problem is the factions. The Hatfields sit on this side. The McCoys sit on this side. And everybody thinks they're better than everybody else. And whatever they're gifted with is the most important gift. And Paul is saying... You're far from God. You're far from Christ. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read about the gospel, when I read about salvation, when I read about mercy and compassion and the God that we worship, the first thing that comes to my mind is humility. I can't repent of my sin unless I'm humble enough to recognize my sin. I will never confess. I, I will never turn from my wicked ways unless I understand how much I need a Savior. We can be religious all day long. The Pharisees were religious. But unless the Spirit moves in and takes up residence in my life, unless I'm humble enough to surrender my life and say, not me, but His. It's His. Paul would say, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. So there's different ways, there's different gifts, there's different ideas, there's different languages, there's different ways to skin a cat. Have you ever heard that? But some of us, church, some of us, we get hung up on tradition. We get hung up on, none of us like change, do we? We don't like change. We don't like change. We don't like change. My grandmother, I mentioned to you that those family times, she was one about pulling the china out, Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And I remember the speech, you know, from time to time, hey, uh, pay attention, don't break that, whatever. It, it, there were things that got broke from time to time, but the point was we were going to respect what she had. Everything was just right. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? The napkins were just right. 
the silver woke, I still can't tell you, is the salad fork go first, or does the, that's just not me. But for that generation, everything was just in its right place. And some of us, listen, as crazy as that sounds, some of us are like that in the church. I mean, we, we move a flower arrangement, and somebody freaks out. Community takes effort, does it not? You can sit and eat with somebody all day long, but that doesn't mean you love them. You can interact with people all day long. That doesn't mean deep down inside that you really love them. Jesus was accused of hanging out with sinners. He ate with sinners. Are you kidding me? He ate with tax collectors and sinners. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. I came to do that very thing. Why would I hang out with people that don't need a doctor, he would say. Community takes effort. Community takes, in other words, we can't just gather here once or twice a week and call it community. I I need to get to know you. You need to get to know me. I mentioned to you in our, in our world that we're all busy. The weekend happens and we don't slow down. We are busy all day Saturday, all day Sunday, just like you are, Monday through Friday. There are no days off, if you know what I mean. We gather around this table and we celebrate what Jesus Christ has done as a community. We call each other even brother and sister, but we don't know each other. And That's always struck me as a little bit as a little bit strange. And so I want to offer to you this morning as we begin the series that community is going to take some effort. Community is going to take some work. Community is going to take you having the mind of Christ, Paul would say, Philippians chapter 2, and putting your own selfish desires aside and saying there's something more important than me. And what is that something? Souls going to hell. If there's something more important than that for you, then we've got a long ways to go. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That word devoted, man, it's, it's missing from our, at least our lifestyles, if not our vernacular today. It's, it's something that's foreign to us. But we need to get back to the basics. We need to go back to what are we committed to doing. Devotion means all in. Commitment means everything I've got. And that's not just commitment to me. It's not devotion to me. It's somebody else that I'm devoting myself to. That means your time. It's no longer yours. That flies in the face of us Americans who like ownership. Your possessions, they don't belong to you. You're just stewards of what you've been given. That's what the scripture says. Go go check me on that. But you've got to be devoted to others, right? These people were devoted. This is the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the koinonia. That's the word fellowship. Fellowship is not just potluck dinner. We're going to have one on the 19th, by the way. It's more than just having a fellowship dinner, a potluck. It's about koinonia. It's about getting into each other's business. It's about you knowing my business, me knowing your business. It's about this this person that I've been ministering to that I will go after I leave here. I'm going to go and sit with this guy who just lost his wife of 62 years. And God has given me the opportunity to have koinonia with this person. And hopefully there's this small light that's getting a little bit bigger every day. That's what the gospel is all about. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. All came upon everyone because wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed, there's the word, 
Jody, we talked about that in Bible study. This, this is pistis. This is the pisteo. This is not just belief here. This is belief here. But all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were putting one foot in front of the other. How do we know that? They would sell their possessions and goods, and they would distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. That's the evidence that they really believed. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, they ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, all because, this, listen, here's the good news, and day by day the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. Isn't that amazing? All because somebody decided to give up, to give up their own wants and desires. Let me read this text from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes 4, if you're taking notes. Beginning of verse 7, again, I saw vanity under the sun, the, the case of solitary individuals. Without sons or brothers, yet there is no end to all their toil, and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. For whom by toiling they asked, and depriving myself of pleasure, this also is a vanity and of a happy business. Listen to this, verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. Threefold cord is not quickly broken. You get the idea that even Solomon, the wisest person in the world, next to Jesus, of course, Solomon understood the need for community, the need for relationship, the need for not just gathering and celebrating, but the need to know one another. Church, as we begin this new family faith series, it's my hope, my prayer that you just not gather and celebrate, but that you begin to know one another. I ran across this quote from Charles Moore, and he says this. It's a little bit difficult to read on the screen, but here's what it says. Forming a community will never happen. Forming a community will never happen if we keep hanging on to our independence. Neither will it happen if our schedules only allow us to meet together a couple of hours a week. It's about time, space, and fellowship. Do you understand what he's saying? Well, Mike, I'm busy. I get it. We're all busy. I get it. We're all busy. But you still have a choice to make on whether you choose to be in community with somebody, whether you choose to be in relationship with somebody. The word alanes or alalus means one another. Listen to these texts as we close. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. In Romans 15, verse 14, Paul says, be able to instruct one another. That's the alalus word. Romans 16, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, that may be a little too far for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 33, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Some of you need to hear that. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, have the same care for one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, through love become slaves to one another. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. How can you bear one another's burdens if you don't know what those burdens are? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, encourage one another. The same verse says, build up each other. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 13, be at peace among one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15 says, do good to one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, bear with one another in love. 
Ephesians 4, verse 32, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Be kind. Be kind to one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 3, verse 13, forgive one another. James 5, verse 16, confess your sins to one another. Uh-oh. Really? Really? Confess your sins to one another. James 5.16, the same verse. Pray for one another. 1 Peter 1.22, love one another from the heart. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, be hospitable to one another. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, treat one another in humility. One another. One another. One another. The New Testament authors seem to think that being together, loving one another, really meant something. I wish we would put our selfish things aside. I wish we would understand community. I wish we would understand fellowship, koinonia, relationship, the way they understood relationship. Because my faith affects you. Whether you like it or not, there's positive effects, there's negative effects. And your faith, once you leave this place, your faith affects me. It affects the entire community, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. And to think that it doesn't is awful, awful naive. My prayer for you, Christian, my prayer for you, follower of Jesus, my prayer for you, person who gathers around this table with me and everyone else, that you, whether you love them or you don't love them, that you will have a greater appreciation for them and that one day you will come to love them and not just tolerate them. Loving is not just tolerating someone. Let's really love one another as we have been loved. Let's pray. Father, for your word, I'm grateful. I'm grateful, Father, for Paul and Peter and James and New Testament authors who thought it pretty important that we not only hang out, but we invest in one another. Help us not just to be religious Pharisees. Help us not to just go through the motions. Help us not just to be a place that people gathers under this roof, but help us really about to be about loving God, loving people, and and loving by going. God, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that you allow us to do what we do across the world. In Germany and in Ireland and in Dallas and McKinney and Fairview and in Anna. But I'm also grateful, Father, that you've seen fit to allow another group that doesn't look like us or act like us or dress like us or talk like us to meet under this roof. And I pray that you would help us to understand that it is kingdom that we're supposed to be about. It's all about, it's all about you and not about us. God, forgive us for we've been selfish in the past. Continue to love on us, if you will. For those of, uh, of, of, that may be here that don't know the love that Jesus Christ has for them, I pray today is the day that they know that love before they leave this place. Thank you for hearing our prayers, God. Uh, thank you for loving us despite who we are. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.